Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. Instead of becoming yet another burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm now on a mission to help lawyers do just that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both life and law. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hey there, this is Heather Mulder with the Life in Law Podcast, and welcome to episode number 21, where we are going to talk about changing priorities and how to work less and live more when those priorities change without feeling guilty about it or like you need to be ashamed around something, okay? So I just got to say, this is probably going to be my favorite episode so far, mostly because it comes up so often in my coaching, and in fact, the vast majority of people who hire me have had this happen. Their priorities have changed in some way, shape, or form, and they're starting to realize it, and they don't really know what to do. They feel stuck because they've always been on one path, and it feels really scary, and they worry about what other people are going to think of them, and there's a lot of fear going on. And so I want to get into kind of how to combat that fear, how to deal with it, Um, how to deal with all the internal emotions and feelings and beliefs and thoughts that are going through your head. That's going to be the first part of this discussion. And then we're going to get into the second part, which is the what to do to ensure that you know what those changing priorities actually are and can take action on them so that you don't just sit there feeling stuck or constantly thinking about it and can actually do something instead. So let's just dive right in because it's kind of a meaty topic and there's a lot to get into today. So as I said, this issue comes up a lot and I think it especially comes up with my clients who come to me who are married with kids and they've been working really, really hard and they realize that their kids are starting to get a little bit older and they want to spend more time with them. It also happens in my clients that aren't married or don't have kids. So it's a myth to think that this only happens with people who have children or who are married, okay? And I do find that those who come to me thinking this way that don't have kids or are not married have extra guilt as though somehow they're supposed to just keep going on and, you know, working really hard and doing all these things that they've always been doing because other people have more important things. And I want to stop you right there if that's you because that's just not true. This comes up in those various scenarios and here's why it can be such a problem at least with those of us who are high achievers. And that pretty much describes every lawyer I've ever known. We're all high achievers. And anybody else who's listening here who may not be a lawyer, because I know some of you are out there, but that you're also a high achiever. So the problem is, you know, you've been working really, really hard. You've probably achieved a lot. And you've gotten to a point where you're like, "Uh, but I want to step back some. I don't want to work so hard. There are other things I want to be doing with my life, within my career, with my kids, um, for a charity, for a bigger cause, whatever it is. There are a lot of reasons that we, you know, that this happens to us. But our mind goes a little bit crazy. And we come up with thoughts like, well, people are going to think I'm lazy. 
that I'm going to look lazy because I'm going to be stepping back and not doing as much. They're going to think I'm unreliable. And so there's all this fear about what other people are going to think of you. You might be thinking, especially if you're in private practice, will this allow me to still serve my clients to the best of my ability? If I'm not on all the time, if I'm not always available, if I step back, how is that going to affect my relationship with my client? How is that going to affect my actual work product, right, if I'm not on all of the time? Another thing that we often say to ourselves is, I'm going to miss out on something. What if something big or important comes up and I have to miss out on it because I've stepped back. I'm not working as hard. I'm not working as much. I'm prioritizing other things, not just work. And that then makes you think, oh my God, I'm going to lose ground. I've worked so hard to get to where I am. I don't want to lose ground. I don't want to settle for something less. Isn't that what I'd be doing? And then finally, another thought that I see come up a lot is, well, who would I be if I'm not this high achiever, big wig lawyer that I've always identified myself as? Who would I be? And that one's a biggie, okay? Because what that means is you've been defining yourself by what you do for a living and in respect of the things you achieve and in respect of what others think of you because of those achievements, right? And so you've lost track of the core things that make you who you are. And a lot of that is what's leading to all of those other thoughts, that fear about what other people would think, that fear of missing out, that fear that you won't be serving your clients if you're not always on, always available. A lot of that comes from the fact that you've been defining yourself in this way. So there are a couple of things, actually more than a couple of things, there's like five or six things that I really want to address here that's important for you to start accepting and understand and acknowledge so that you can get over this and embrace the fact that your priorities have and are changing and frankly will again in the future. And we're going to get into that. I want you to just listen to these things, acknowledge them, and then allow them to kind of seep in over the next week or two. Okay, and see as they seep in and you start to accept them more freely, how that affects you moving forward. So number one, yeah, you're a lawyer. Yes, you're a high achiever. You're really good at what you do. You do this for a living. That's great. But I'm here to tell you, it's not who you are. As I said before, high achievers, which is most attorneys out there, tend to define themselves by what they do, what they've achieved, how they're viewed, whether they're respected in their fields and what they do. And I'm not saying that's absolutely not relevant. It's relevant, but only a little bit and not quite in the way that you think. It is just a small piece of the puzzle as to who you are. And when I say it's not as relevant and certainly not in the way that you think, what I'm really talking about here is your values. Because the values that you have helped you to choose this career in the first place. Those are the things that are relevant and really make you who you are, not what you do for a living. The second thing I want to say is it's natural for priorities to change over time. Here's the deal, y'all. There are different seasons to life. What you want at 25 is not the same as what you want at 32, and what you want at 40 is going to be different than what you want at 55, and so on. And as you achieve things, you achieve them, right? You also sometimes don't achieve things, and that changes you, and it changes your perception of who you are, of what you want. 
Also, as time goes on, you achieve other things that you never even anticipated. And all of these experiences you've had are going to change you. You're going to learn. You're going to grow as a human. We evolve over time. Also, your circumstances obviously change. At 28 years old, early in your career, you may not have kids yet. At 35, maybe you do. That changes your circumstances. Later on, your kids graduate from high school and go off. That also changes your circumstances. And with changing circumstances, change your perception and your priorities and what you want. It changes your perspective on things. Okay? And it's totally natural and normal. So I want you to separate from, well, I had this big vision early on in my career or at some point in the past, and I no longer want it. And what's wrong with me? I've heard that from clients. You know, what's wrong with me? Nothing. It's natural for this to change over time. And so I want you to acknowledge that and accept it for what it is. The third thing that I want to say that I think is really important is I personally do not believe that any human, including you, are meant to work so hard at just one thing forever or in just one way forever. And here's what I mean by that. So just as you have changing interests and different seasons of life, you also have varying gifts, talents, and strengths, right? And I'm not talking about skills here. I'm talking about the things that you are more naturally good at or strong with that you utilize every day in the work that you're doing. And those talents and strengths and gifts are, are meant to be used in varying ways, not just in one way. So you've been utilizing them a lot within your career. But perhaps because you're entering a new season, you are meant to utilize, find ways to utilize those talents, those gifts, those strengths in other ways too. Not that you're not still going to use them within your career, but they're meant to be utilized in other ways. And so that's what this season is about, is to really prioritize that. The same goes for interests. Yes, you're interested in the law, justice, fairness, service, whatever it was that drew you into being a lawyer in the first place. And for those of you who are listening who are not lawyers, there were reasons you chose your specific career. And that's great. And it doesn't mean those things have gone away. But it does mean that as you enter these new seasons, there become new and differing things that interest you as well. That's a lot of what's going on here. It's time to start thinking in new ways because that inner voice is calling you. It's telling you, I want you to do something new. I want to do something different. It's also, unfortunately, because the inner voice is more negative than positive, reminding you of all the fears and the unknowns and all the things that, you know, are keeping you stuck. Now, I want to be very clear here that sometimes, yes, this means that maybe you're not meant to practice law anymore. Maybe you're meant to do something else like I discovered after my cancer battle. But that's not necessarily the case. And I got to tell you, in most cases, it's, it's not. It's just that you're being called to put less into whatever those goals, those career, those big visions were. Or maybe that vision is changing a little bit so that you can put more time and energy into other things as well, okay? So let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. So I have a client who came to me kind of at a crossroads within her career. She's been pretty successful, but she's realizing that her prior definition of success is no longer serving her. She's not quite sure how it needs to change, but she feels like there are changes that need to happen and that currently it's incomplete. 
it's no longer enough just to do her best work and serve her clients. She sees inequity. She sees foundational problems and issues within her, her industry. And she wants to speak up about it and make deeper changes within that industry. But she's not quite sure how just yet. It relates to something that she's already doing. But she knows that there's more, something else. And what we're working on is trying to figure that out, right? Her priorities of what was success for her, what that vision was, what those goals were, she's achieved some of those things. She hasn't achieved others because she decided they weren't as important to her anymore. And now she's realizing, I need a new definition. I need a new vision. And so we're diving into that. So that's an example of what I'm talking about, right? Here's another example. I have a client with kids who is starting to realize that her success definition has always been about these big achievements in her career, but her kids are getting to an age where she wants to spend more time with them. And that success must somehow include being with them, being more present, being a good role model to and for them, right? She loves to teach. She loves to inspire. And she's been doing that within her career. And she's been pretty active administratively within her firm and within management and within with associates. She's a partner. But she's realizing that that's no longer as fulfilling as it once was because she's in a new season. And she needs to translate that teaching and that love of inspiration into her kids more. And then finally, of course, there's my story, right? I've got many more, but I, I'm not going to bog you down. But mine, after my cancer, my priorities changed because my definition of success changed. I didn't realize this initially. This is not something that just you wake up all of a sudden and go, oh, my priorities have totally changed. It does creep up on you, which is why so many people feel stuck when they get to it because it's kind of this nagging thing in the back of your mind that finally comes to the forefront. I wish it came quicker, but it doesn't. And it's okay. It's totally okay. Like I had a conversation with a client the other day who talked about if there was a way where you could get people earlier and they didn't have to get to this point. Because I mentioned to her, yeah, you're normal. Like this is totally normal. People come to me and they feel utterly stuck. They've totally made the decision that they must change something. And they know kind of a little bit about what they want to change, but they have no clue how or exactly where they want to go. And they've gotten to the point where their fear of not doing anything is now greater than their fear of doing, of changing. She said, well, if there was only some way for you to get to get to people before that. And I'm like, you know, no, because you've got to get to that point to actually be able to accept that you're ready and to do the work to make these changes. And so if, if you're in that space where you're not quite sure, it's okay. It comes, right? Just let it be, sit with it, and then reach out for help if you need it once it gets to the point where you're ready. And if you're at the point where you are ready, that's okay too. It's okay that it's been there for a while. There's nothing wrong with it or you. It's not just that your priorities are changing, but your priorities change because your perception of what life should look and feel like of what your vision for what you want out of it has changed. Your success definition has changed. It's deeper than just that some of your priorities have changed. And the problem with that is it's super scary because it means 
different. And different is unknown, which of course brings forth fear. And it's so normal for everybody feels this. There's no such thing as not feeling fear at all. When you're facing change, not knowing, it's normal to fear failing. So when I fully embraced that I was going to leave my legal career after 18 years, let me just tell you, I was most terrified of telling my husband. (laughs) Not my colleagues, not my clients, but the person who I was closest to forever, who'd been there for me through thick and thin, who knew me the best. Now, why was that? So ever since we'd met, back when I was 19 years old and a freshman in college, yes, that's when we met, (laughs) I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. That is always how he had known me. And the truth of the matter was that because I was at a big firm, because I had a big book of business, I had been very successful. I was making a lot of money. I actually was making more money than him at the time. And so I was terrified of two very specific things. Number one, money. That there would be money problems. And that somehow that would negatively impact our relationship. Because, you know, I've got kids We have a certain standard of living we had gotten used to. We send our kids to private school. And all of those are very privileged things. But let's be honest. We fear losing those. We fear how it's going to affect those we love. We fear the pushback we're going to get. We fear how that's going to affect our relationships, right? And I was incredibly fearful of that. The second thing that I was terrified of was that making this decision to leave my legal career and start a new business in coaching and kind of just go down this whole new path was going to change me. I accepted that, but I was terrified that it was going to change me in a way that would make me and my husband not no longer compatible with each other. Because as I said, I've known him since I was 19 years old. I met him when I was a freshman in college. I'll be honest, there have been changes to our relationship. It has changed me. I knew it would. And what I learned, though, is that we could work together and work to stay compatible throughout it all. But it, it, it's work, y'all. <laughs> it's not easy. I don't say this lightly because I've been there. And yet I did make that change anyway. And I'm here to tell you it's better. Because the fact of the matter is, and this is what I get at, what I was getting at when I was earlier talking about when people come to me, they get to the point where the fear of not making a change has become bigger than the fear of the change itself. When your priorities have changed like this, there's something deeper within going on that is changing you. If you do not listen to it, it's going to change you even more and not in good ways. And so I had gotten to that point where I feared who I was going to become if I didn't do what I wanted, leave my legal career behind, start this new business, help people in a different way. So let's get to the next one, which is biggie, fear. And here's the thing that I want you to really accept and understand. It's never going away. You just have to learn to act regardless of it. So I think a lot of us have this perception that there are people out there who can be fearless. But I'm here to tell you that's a lie. There's no such thing as being completely fearless. Now, yes, some fears can be conquered, but not all fear can. You're always going to have fears. And that's especially the case when it comes to fear of the unknown, fear of change, right? When we're making difficult decisions and we're choosing to do things differently. Also, fear of missing out, fear of what others are going to think. It's possible to diminish these. In my experience, they never 100% go away. But 
What I also want you to know is that fear itself does not hurt you unless you allow it to hurt you. And here's what I mean by allowing it, ignoring it, pushing it down, not dealing with it. Because that is when it stops you from making the choices you most want to make. And it leads to feelings of regret. Courage is a choice. And that's really what we mean when we talk about overcoming fear or being fearless. It's not without fear. It's about taking a first step despite the fact that you fear something. You fear what could come from that step. And then continuing to take steps down that path regardless of the fears you have. The other thing I mean about fear isn't going to hurt you is remember. And I talked about this back in episode two. And I think also in episode seven when I talked about mindfulness. Fear is there to help you figure out how you can best plan. It's to help you. It's, it's, a, it's a safety mechanism, a protective feature. And if you start to step back and just look at it at that, it's a lot easier to deal with it, process it, and still make choices despite your fears and take action. And I'm going to help you a little bit later on in this podcast. I'm going to give you an exercise that you can do to help you face these fears. But just understand that courage is a choice. And it's just about taking that first and the next and the next and the next step, despite the fact that you still have some fears. The good news is when you start to do those things, fear does diminish. As I said, it doesn't 100% go away, but it, it doesn't control you any longer. And that's what I mean by diminishing those fears. You get comfortable enough with the uncomfortable feelings to still take action and just live with it. The other thing that I want to say is choices are meant to be hard, y'all. And changing priorities means making tough choices. So we don't like to face tough choices. We like things to be simple, easy, obvious. But here's the deal about life. Most of the time, our choices do not present themselves with, you know, the perfect solution in this moment. We talked a couple of weeks back about trade-offs and the fact that every single choice you make has a trade-off. So I encourage you, if you have not listened to episode number 18, that you go back and listen to it. And don't let the name fool you. I did raise this trade-off kind of choice topic in respect of a specific issue that came up with a client with dual income, um, income couples with kids. That being said, the episode applies to us all. There's always a trade-off. And the trick is to figure out the right one for you, given your current circumstances, your values, and your current priorities. That's how you make a courageous decision to act despite your fears. The other thing that I want to mention here around choices is this whole idea of not wanting to lose ground. You've worked hard to get to where you are. You've accomplished, you've accomplished a lot. You don't want to let go of it. Um, you're not. What you've achieved, you've already achieved. It's in the past. It's not going anywhere. It's just that it's time to move forward with a new vision for what's next. So you got to let go of the fact that that was good then. It's just not what you want now. And you're not losing ground by changing priorities and going after a new vision. Let me be clear about this. Staying put and not listening to that voice inside of your head is going to make you something less. That's the epitome of losing ground. And here's what I mean by that, okay? You end up resentful. You end up bitter. So I had a mentor. I think I may have mentioned him in the past episode, but... It's important to understand this. I had a mentor who was very well known in the legal industry. He was very high up in a big firm. 
He had done incredibly well, made a lot of money, um, led his practice group, became a managing partner. I mean, he's just huge, right? And he was a great guy. And I really, really enjoyed the relationship we had. And never did I know until he retired that the last 10, 15 years of his career, he felt resentful, bitter. And he, he felt that way about his own clients because of the choices he had made and all that he'd given up. He felt like he'd given up too much with his relationships with his kids when they were growing up. He felt like he'd given up too much of himself and not prioritized himself throughout his legal career. And he he felt resentful for it. And he was taking it out on his clients. And he wasn't very happy that last 10, 15 years. All because he didn't listen to that voice inside of him saying, you know what? You don't have to keep achieving these things. Your priorities have changed. It's time to reprioritize. So that's all the mindset stuff. Now let's get to a quick, you know, what's your template for figuring out how your priorities have changed if you're not quite sure? And how do you do all of this and then start acting in a way where you can kind of overcome that fear, act courageously, and feel content with whatever your choices are no matter what happens? So note, what's really happening, what's really going on here when your priorities have changed in this way is your definition of success is changing or it has changed. And you haven't gotten real clear around exactly how yet. So I've talked about this before when it comes to how to redefine success. If you have not listened to episode 12, I highly recommend you do it because that's going to help you to kind of do all the things we're talking about here. The other thing I would say before we get into this outline If this is you, you're probably in your 40s or 50s, maybe even in your late 30s. Welcome to the club. There's a reason we have the term midlife crisis. I would say that's kind of a misnomer for most of us. It's only a crisis if we make it one, (laughs) right? Go back to the story about my mentor. In my experience, the people who enter midlife crises and go through them, the ones that we, we identify that way, are the people that don't listen. They don't listen fully at least and they don't sit down and figure out what their new priorities really are, what their new success definition really is, what their vision is and accept it and move forward with it. They try to deny all or some portion of it and that's where you get into crisis because you're in an internal crisis at that point. So given all that we've discussed today and then also on prior podcasts, I don't think that the starting point is going to surprise you. So the number one thing you need to do is to reevaluate your values. Now, if you've never really thought carefully about them, then it's time to do so, okay? So what do I mean by that? Identify them. Give them actual words and then define what they mean to you in respect of how you align, how you uphold your values within your life in the choices that you're making every single day. Again, we went through this more in depth back in episode 12 when I talked about how to redefine success. So if you're not sure, go back and listen. Also, this is outlined within the Life and Law Roadmap. So I highly recommend that you download that. It will There will be a link to it in the show notes. But let me give you an example of kind of what I'm talking about. So service has always been one of my top 10, maybe even top five values. And for much of my life, I defined that as serving those I came into contact with to the best of my ability. So my family, my friends, my clients. But after I had cancer, that changed. And so when I say reevaluate your values, you probably have always had a sense of what a lot of them are. 
But you need to redefine them occasionally because circumstances can happen within your life or different seasons that you enter into because of your circumstances that may tweak or change how you want to define them. Also, big life experiences such as having had cancer can massively, drastically change them, can even introduce new ones, which actually it did for me as well. So what I found when I started looking at this is that, yeah, I still wanted to serve people to the best of my ability, but I wanted to serve them differently. I wanted to serve people on a more individual way to help them live better lives, to help them feel more fulfilled, happier, etc. Not just make their life easier through my actions, but to use my strengths and the lessons that I'd learned through my cancer journey and how I grew up to help them figure out how to do all of that, right? How to be happy, how to be fulfilled, how to align their lives more clearly with their values because I understood what values were and how to do that. And I knew that I could help people. And so that's how it changed for me. And so I had to think about, wow, there's a huge gap. And obviously, because of that change, it led me out of the law. Here's another example. I had a client who valued competition, competing. She has a very competitive nature. And it's not that she needed to win. She just loved the competition itself, preparing, being her best, going all in, the challenge. And she was very fulfilled within her career for many years because she's a litigator and she loved the preparation and the competition, the competitive nature of trying to win a case. But now she's got kids and her definition is kind of changing. It's not as important to her as it was. Family has always actually been a top value as well, but now it's taken over for the competition. Not the competition still isn't there, but family is there. So sometimes, yeah, I said service has always been a top value. Sometimes these values move around as well. So you're not only identifying your values, redefining, getting more clarity around what they mean to you right now, but then you got to kind of rank them and see, well, where do they fall out? Because for her, competition was probably number one. Now it's maybe number three or four or five. Families higher up and some other things have moved up. The other thing is she's starting to realize that perhaps competing still is a top value, but it could be defined a little bit differently within this stage of her life. So instead of competing through the cases, she compete against herself to be the best mother possible and constantly learn and be better right? That's more important than winning at work. And so that competitive value and the family value is kind of combining for her. Okay, so hopefully this helps give you an understanding of why you're doing this. You want to look at them, you want to reevaluate what your values are, and you want to kind of re-rank them and see what's changed. And the reason why you want to clearly identify what's changed is it's going to help you with the next step. Because your next step is to determine who your priorities are. Not what, who, okay? So we talked before about how to prioritize more on a day-to-day basis back in episode 10. That's not really what I'm talking about here. Because your priorities have changed so much, you first need to determine who your priorities are before you can determine the what. Because the who leads the way. And it's changed. So... Start listing out the categories of the people slash big things, the who in your life. 
immediate family, extended family, self, friends, firm, clients, hobbies, charities, your faith, that kind of thing, right? Figure out what those main categories are. Then don't rank them yet. List what goes under each category. And once you get clear about your top priorities under those, rank them within each category. Then you take a look at rank the who without the categories. So for instance, maybe faith first, kids second, self third, spouse fourth, clients fifth, charity sixth, right? So understand that you can't just rank the categories. You have to, you look at the categories, you figure out who's within the categories, you rank those people within those categories, and then you have to like rank it all together and use your values and your success definition as your guide. Here's why. That voice is going to show up and it's going to tell you what you can and cannot do and it's lying to you. It relates to the stories you've grown up telling yourself based on what other people have told you, what other people's expectations are of you. You want to get away from that. So you want to use your values and that success definition based on your values as your guide and ranking the who. Okay. After you do the who, you don't go immediately into the what, okay? Because you need a big picture vision. Your big picture vision is, where do you want to be three to five years from now? Given how your values are now defined, given your new success definition based on those values, right? Given your current circumstances. And clearly define that vision. The whole point for that is so that you have a place to go, a North Star for where you're going. Now, Something to note, it's not going to stay the same. Your vision is still going to evolve over time because, of course, you will. And so will your priorities. So to create this vision, ask yourself things like, what do I want to be known for? Like, what's most important? What do I want people to say about me as a human being, not just what I've accomplished? What do I want them to say about my relationships with my family, with myself, with how I showed up in the world? Yes, look at achievements too. What do I want to have achieved both within my career, but also personally? And more importantly, ask what you want to be able to say about yourself looking back. So note that this should tap into those values. It should be very values-based if you ask these questions. It will be. All right. Once you create that big vision, you've gotten clear around your values. You've kind of redefined success for yourself based on what your current values are. You've defined the who. You've created your bigger picture vision. It's not really a goal, by the way, but it's it's a longer term kind of a thing because goals are shorter term. Then it's time to reprioritize and actually take action. So this is where you get into your specific what, the what priorities. And you set your new goals based on that for this next year or less. So a note about goals. Goals should never go beyond a year. They need to be something that are actionable and that feel achievable and realistic in the now so that they help motivate you to do the work towards them, okay? So a vision is longer, bigger picture. Goals are kind of those first things that help you take action towards that vision. And then you choose, you act, you do instead of just thinking about it forever, keeping in mind that there's always going to be fear and that taking courageous action is a choice. So I promised earlier that I was going to give you an exercise to help you to kind of face those fears, (laughs) to take that courageous action despite the fear that you might be feeling. So here it is. I think I've gone over this a little bit before, but maybe not as in depth and it's worth going over again regardless. So I want you to personify that inner voice. 
That voice that's constantly bringing up the what if, you can't, oh my God, what will people think? The fear of missing out. The fear that I had about your relationship changing. So one of the biggest problems that we have as humans is we get really caught up inside of that inner voice and we think of it as ourselves. And because we think of it as ourselves, then we beat up on ourselves for it. Oh my God, why do I think this way? I shouldn't let it hold me back. We go down this really bad path. So the whole point of personifying that inner voice is to pull it away from that so that you don't get caught in that trap. And by personifying them, I mean think of them as another person, okay? Name him or her. I think of her as sadness from inside out. She's always negative, but she's not trying to be such a downer. She's trying to warn you. She's there actually to protect you. It's just that she doesn't know how to stop. She tends to repeat herself and so she goes overboard. And so if you look at her that way, it kind of separates you from that voice and allows you to then deal with those fears, those thoughts behind the fears, etc. So you talk to her as though she's another person and ask, you know, what are you trying to tell me? As you start to do this more and more, it becomes more of an internal thing. But when you're making huge new decisions and choices, when your priorities have changed, I actually recommend you just take 20 minutes to sit down and write these things down and really treat her as another person and ask these questions, okay? And then listen to what she says. You know, what are you worried about? What do you fear? Well, why? What's behind that? What are the thoughts? What are the beliefs behind that? And write it down. And as soon as she starts getting repetitive and repeating herself, tell her, okay, you've done your job. You've told me everything you've come to tell me. You can go on. I need to look at this now on my own. Then you take a look at your list. And instead of just looking at that list of all the what-ifs that are bad, of all the beliefs about what could go wrong, about what people might think, you're like, okay, well, what could go right? What's the opposite of this? What are the reasons why I might want to take action anyway? And you write those down. So you kind of have like a pros and cons list. And I want you to do that first because it puts you in a better mind space before you go back and do the next step, which is to then go and address the things that could go wrong and say, okay, First off, challenge them. Is this really true? Because what happens is a lot of times we get so stuck in our head and that voice kind of takes you down this crazy path that's just not reasonable. You know, like you're going to die or lose your job or be without anyone, that kind of thing. So you challenge that and say, okay, that's not really that realistic and cross those things off. And then on the other things that could be a little more realistic, you just go, okay, so what if? How do I want to plan for that? How do I want to deal with it ahead of time? How would I deal with it if it did happen? So that's what I did when I addressed that voice inside my head that said, Heather, you're going to change. This is going to change your relationship with your husband. What if you're not compatible as you change? And I realized, you know what? Um, We're on this journey together. We're going to talk openly. We're going to deal with it head on. We'll go to therapy if we have to, which we haven't. You know, we've talked. We've gotten real. We've had tough conversations. Worrying about money. We talked about it ahead of time. I told him more than a year before I actually left my legal practice what I wanted to do. And we saved. We made sure we had enough savings to get us through the first couple of years of my new business without me making any money at all. So I planned, right? There were ways to deal with it. And so that's what you do. And then it allows you to make that choice and act. All right. Before I leave you, I want to remind you that it's okay that there is no perfect. As with every decision, there are trade-offs. And here's the deal. If you go down a path 
that you then realize, you know, I don't want this after all. I want something else. That's okay. You can always pivot, change your mind, course correct. I recently had a client tell me that they almost didn't hire me because they didn't like the name of my business, Course Correction Coaching, because she thinks of course corrections as big fixes, as changing bad habits, which is funny because that's not how I think of it. I think of a course correction as minor little changes along the way, along your path, so that you think you're going from point A to point B, but because you make these tiny tweaks along the way, you end up in a very different area because that's just what life is. It's a series of course corrections, right? So I want you to think of it in that way. There is no necessarily right or wrong. Maybe you are meant to make a choice so that you can learn something from it and then make a very different choice later on than you would have from the beginning. Okay, so that is it for today. But before I move on, I have a request for you. Please do me the honor of rating and reviewing the podcast if you're enjoying it. My goal is to get in front of as many lawyers as I can, and your rating and review would help that happen. I so hope that you found this useful. It was an important topic. It's something that comes up a lot, and I hope you got a lot out of it. Until next week, y'all. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a subscriber, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.